Thanks for checking out the weekly sermon from Church of the Resurrection. We pray that God will use this message to speak to you and help you grow in your faith journey. We'd like to invite you to join us next week at one of our services, whether in live worship online at court.org live or in person at one of our locations in the Kansas City area. Church of the Resurrection is one church in multiple locations. To learn more about our service times and ministries, please visit Cora.org. We hope you enjoy this message. As we continue in worship, my name is Lydia Kim, and I'm one of the pastors at Connection and Care here at Resurrection. I invite you now to hear these words from Scripture. Our first passage today is from Psalm 33. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. From 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And from John chapter 13, Jesus said, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. May God add a blessing to the reading, hearing, and understanding of Scripture. Hello, church. I'm Daryl Burton, one of the pastors here at Church of the Resurrection. I am delighted to be in worship with you. After serving 25 years in prison for murder of, of a, for a crime I didn't commit, I am delighted and excited to be anywhere. I also like to just lift up the chiefs and say, go chief, this is chief kingdom. And so as we celebrate the chiefs and, and cheer them on, this is going to be a brief sermon. So let me get right into the message. Lent, that is marked by the beginning of Ash Wednesday. It is held on Shrove, also known as Fat Tuesdays, that's observed by many Christians, including Anglicans, Roman Catholics, Lutherans, Protestants, and Methodists are all around the world. Christians of all denominations celebrate this time of year. We make a special point of examination and concerning what wrongs we need to repent, what amendments in life in our areas that we struggle with spiritually. As Wednesday marks the start of the Lenten period leading up to Easter, when Christians believe Jesus was resurrected. It is approximately six and a half weeks uh, until Easter Sunday. The body of Christ and the church sets off on our Lenten journey. It is by faith that we believe in the cross and ultimately in the resurrection, and that is our destination. 
Some of you may have heard of uh, this celebration known as Mardi Gras, also called Shrove Tuesday, Carnival Tuesday, and Pancake Tuesday, depending on the location of the celebration. Mardi Gras is French for Fat Tuesday. It is celebrated in New Orleans primarily. It is a reflection of the practice of the last night of eating fatty foods and, you know, and also before we get into this ritual of the Lenten sacrifice for 40 days is when the fasting starts. Historically, for some people, Mardi Gras is a fun time to celebrate with beads and also with delicious foods. And we also have this thing called the king cake. For those who aren't familiar with the term king cake, it is a frosty seasonal type of uh, uh, cake that is eaten January the 6th in honor of the Epiphany, also known as King's Day or Twelfth Night and Fat Tuesday. The name King Cake is derived from the three wise men in the Bible who came bearing gifts for our beloved newborn Jesus, the Twelfth Night. In addition, according to those residents who live in Louisiana who traditionally celebrate with their Christian faith in search of this porcelain king and the king cake, this porcelain little baby that they think and believe it symbolizes Jesus. And if whoever finds it, it brings them good luck and prosperity. This year, Lent falls on Valentine's Day, February the 14th, and runs until March the 28th, which is Holy Thursday. The last week of Lent is Holy Week, beginning with Palm Sunday and ending on Holy Saturday. Lent marks a time for Christians to prepare for Easter through penance, prayer, and the repentance of sins. Ash Wednesday is that special day of reflection where Christians wear a marking of the cross of ashes on our foreheads. The ashes symbolizes our mortality. And remember that we came from dust and to dust we must return. Usually the ashes are created by burning palms from the previous year's Palm Sunday celebration. It is the palms that were laid out to cover the path of Jesus when he arrived in Jerusalem just days before his crucifixion. Since the palms have been blessed, instead of throwing the palms away, they are saved and preserved for the celebration on Ash Wednesday. That's how the ashes are created for Ash Wednesday. A few things that we can consider during Ash Wednesday, and several suggestions are here for you to consider. Repent, confess our wrongs, make amends, and change negative behaviors. Pray a solemn prayer and requesting help from God for the things we need and to give thanks to God for things he's already done for us. Fast, to abstain from certain foods, drinks, tobacco, as we observe the Lenten season. As Jesus grew hungry from fasting in the desert, he was faced with the first of three temptations. Satan appeared to Jesus and before Satan said these words, he said, Jesus, you're hungry, turn these stones to bread. But Jesus resisted knowing that he was being tempted to do something against God's will. He knew the word of God and he knew also the importance that we do not survive on bread alone. He was then brought to the top of a building in Jerusalem and told that if he truly was the son of God, that he should jump from the building and the angels, they would carry him to safety. Jesus once again resisted saying, I know not to challenge my God. On the third temptation, Jesus was brought to the top of a mountain and told that he could look out upon all the kingdom and see all of the kingdoms of the earth and that if he knelt to Satan, they would be his. But Jesus again resisted in proclaiming that he would only serve God and God alone. Just as Jesus faced temptations in the desert, we too will face temptations every day of our lives. As we celebrate the beginning of Lent on Ash Wednesday, 
We are encouraged to think about things and ways in which we can better ourselves and become better people uh, in the year ahead. Each year, we're asked to make sacrifices, to give up something that we love or that we really, really enjoy. We're asked, some of us, to give up coffee or alcoholic beverages or shopping or snacks or sweet treats or social media or gossiping or complaining. Now, that is admirable if Christians can give up some of these things, and many of us do. With the help of our Lord, we give up a lot of things against our own, and we make our own personal sacrifices. However, I think that God is pleased with that when we give up something, but God is also pleased with some of the things that we don't give up, and particularly the things at the Church of the Resurrection. Adam inspires us and challenges us to go out and to do something for those who are less fortunate in our community. Pastor Robin and I was talking about this, and we was talking about how this church raised millions of dollars to go out into the local community to help those in need, not only in this community, but around the world. This church and all of you as members of this church, you go out and you help those who are poor, the homeless, the hungry, the sick, the prisoner, the addicts who struggle from various addictions, those who are divorced and depressed, the wise and uneducated, the Jewish and Palestinian communities, and all people regardless of our ethnic background, the rich and the well-connected, the big and small uh, businesses, conservatives and progressives, the LGBTQ, the elderly, the newborns that's waiting to breathe, and the single mom who needs help when she conceive. Our journey at resurrection is to know love and to serve God and his people, and this is what this church does on a continuous basis. As a congregation, you are renewing the church, making disciples of God's people and showing that we don't just have the capacity to go out and do right, but we have an opportunity to go out and serve those who are in need. Human beings are sharing God's love to others, and that's this mysterious kind of agape love that's offered without conditions. These are just a few of the things that we're doing here in this community and around the world, church. If you need to get more information or more context about the ministry of the church, then go to cor.org slash next and just take a look around and find some of the support services that are happening here at this church and you too can get connected. That's why we're here, church. That's why God has brought us here to this place. To quote Dr. King, who said, let us be drum majors of fairness. Let us be drum majors of righteousness. Let us be drum majors of love, truth, peace, freedom, and drum majors of justice. That's who we are, church. We are called by Jesus to help the least of these, to love them. You know, this is the reason that we are called to help those who are fortunate as well as those who are less fortunate, to help those who have no needs, to help those who have an abundance of needs. And why do we do this? We do it for love. We do this out of love. We do it as a commandment from God to love. I'm reminded of the words from the psalm that says, we wait and hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. I love what the part of this psalm is saying here when it says, may your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. You see, God's love never fails. As Christians, we continue to demonstrate God's love to others by the way we treat them and how we see them and the way we speak with them and the way we show acts of kindness and respect toward all people. The command to love from God and Jesus, it interests me. Why are we commanded by God to love? 
Was there an absence of love in the world, in the universe? He commands us to love because he first loved us. We cannot meditate on God's love enough. John 3.16 says it best, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but should have everlasting and eternal life. It took me some time to figure this out, but I've come to realize God makes no exception or distinction between the righteous and the unrighteous, between those who are perceived as just or unjust. God loves us all equally, as Jesus pointed this out in Matthew's gospel when he said he causes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. In other words, God's love is unconditional. He invites us to join him on this love train. He wants us to be ambassadors of love to the world. But I ask God, why? Why do you want us to love a neighbor or people who are unkind and uncaring to us? People who intentionally display bad conduct and make it difficult for us to like them, let alone love them. We hope and we pray we are not the type of people who treat others with condescending and in rude ways. The Apostle Paul tells us love does no wrong to a neighbor. A British writer and literary scholar who held academic positions in English literature at Oxford and Anglican lay theologian C.S. Lewis said it like this. The great thing to remember is that though our feelings come and go, God's love for us, it does not. Thank God for loving us eternally. However, I am interested in learning more about Jesus' commandment, challenging us to love. So what is this commandment? Well, the Greek and the Hebrew word for command says this. In Greek, entoli is the word for command, an order or injunction a prescribed rule in accordance with which a thing is done according to the ethical commands regarding the Mosaic and the Jewish tradition. And the Hebrew word is mitzvah. It is the word for command. In rabbinic thought, the commandments are usually divided into two major groups, positive commandments, obligations, and negative commandments, prohibitions. Jesus' commandments requires Christians to love, and there are no options. And this command it's without equivocation. He gives frequent commands. And we do give frequent commands. For example, we tell someone to stop. We construct a string of words together in a sentence and give orders and instructions. At times, the command word is called an imperative verb and doesn't need a subject. The speaker uses the imperative verb to encourage someone else to perform an act. Command words are considered bossy verbs, even if that's not the speaker's intent. Since we are created in the image of God with a divine command to love, I believe this commandment of God and Jesus placed a human place on human beings and it makes us inherently hardwired to love. It is an inescapable and unavoidable fact that we are designed for love. Here's a couple of thoughts by some people who, lay, who had this to say about love. According to Indian philosopher and mystic Osho, who sought self-surrender and spiritual apprehension of truth beyond the intellect, who said, if you love a, a flower, don't pick it up, because if you pick it up, it dies, and it ceases to be what you love. If you love the flower, let it be. Love is not about possession. Love is about appreciation. I just love what he's saying about love. Love is about appreciation, not possession. Another great quote is one I love from Max Locato an American author and minister at Oak Hills Church in San Antonio, Texas, who said, forgive and give 
as if it were your last opportunity. Love like there is no tomorrow, and if tomorrow comes, then love again. We love animals. These creatures don't express an understanding of our love for them, but they can feel it, and they can see it in the way we treat them. Animals know if we care about them, and they know when we mistreat them. And there should never be any tolerance for cruelty to animals. Love is the quintessential power that binds us together as human beings. And we could not survive without it. We need water, food, and air to live. We also need love to sustain us, especially during times of difficulty. In the spirit of love, humans are the only species on the planet that's able to discern and understand this need and our need for love. As we continue in our human understanding of love, I would suggest the terms of love is multifaceted, it's multicultural, it is universal. It is all over the world. Everybody needs it. How many ways do we use the word love to describe a person, place, or thing? We use descriptors like, I love my spouse. I love seafood. I love the Chiefs. And again, I love that team. I love springtime and summertime fun. I love going out to the movies with my friends. Some of these expressions or items doesn't offer lifelong commitments and could be a feeling for the moment. Christians are required to love at a deeper and more profound level, at a level that even commands Christians to love our enemy. According to the dictionary, love is an intense feeling of deep affection. Love is the act of caring and giving to someone else, having someone else's best interests and well-being as a priority in our life. To truly love is a very selfless act. Is there a spiritual connection between love and happiness? And if so, what is it? Love is not necessarily defined by our feelings for another person, but by our connection to the divine. The deep feeling we get from being connected to something bigger than ourselves gives us a feeling of peace, joy, and happiness. When we feel spiritual love, we feel connectedness to the divine the same way we feel a deep bond with our siblings and our relatives and those we love. According to Mark's gospel, Jesus had a large family that included several brothers and sisters whom we know he loved because his ministry was based on love. His brothers were identified in the New Testament by name, James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. He had several sisters who were not named. Although Jesus had disagreements with his siblings, we know without a doubt he loved them. Last February 20, 2023, Adam led a group of us on a trip to the Holy Land to visit this place where Jesus was born which is a little town in Bethlehem in a fertile limestone hill country in the Holy Land, about six miles south of Jerusalem. Many of the historical sites are still there. Perhaps they were there thousands of years ago, even before Jesus was born. I have some very wonderful, wonderful experiences and things I'd like to share about the Holy Land. But the one I want to share about right now is my experience in the River Jordan. You see, Adam, uh, he and I, we you know, had a chance to reaffirm my baptism in the River Jordan. I remember Jesus when he was baptized in the River Jordan by his cousin, John the Baptist. After Jesus emerged from the water, there were white doves flying all overhead, the heavens and the skies opened up, and there was a voice that said, this is my son, I am proud of him, listen to him. Well, my experience was profound also. I was literally reaffirming my baptism in the same water as our Lord. However, I didn't see white doves or hear voices or the skies open up. When I came re-emerging out of the water, the thing I recall after I re-emerged, and you can see from the expression on my face, is that I said, man, this water's cold. Let me get out of here. And that water was very cold. 
You said one time in my journey before joining Resurrection, I was with another church. I felt called to be a Methodist, however, later on. But I remember that when I was serving this church, I used to take meals to this park. They call it Jurassic Park up in North Kansas City. And I didn't tell the homeless community, the people who I was feeding, about my story. Well, there was a couple of twin brothers, and one of them had learned about my story. And he said, man, I know who you are. You was that guy that was wrongly convicted and sent to prison for 25 years as an innocent man. So why are you helping us? They should be helping you. Why are you doing this? And I said, you know, because God loves you, and so, you are, so do I. That's why I'm here giving you guys something to eat. Let me share a story about a trip that I took to Jefferson City. Uh, Jefferson City Correctional Center. You know, the chaplain of the prison, he didn't let the guys know that I was coming as a surprise visitor and speaker. So when I arrived, it was tears and cheers because I grew up with those guys in there for 25 years. Then the guys started separating. Some went to the right side of the chapel and some went to the left side of the chapel. And there was this gentleman named Percy. He was coming down in a wheelchair and he was crying uncontrollably. And I kneeled down to him. I said, Percy, man, I told you guys I wouldn't forget you, that I would come back and visit you and see you. He said, no, Daryl, you don't understand. Last night I told God to give me a sign that he was still with me because today I was going to commit suicide. You're my sign from God. We both cried, as did some of the other men, because I was a sign to give Percy a sense of hope. As I'm nearing the conclusion of my message, like Jesus and John Wesley, I came from a large family also. So let me have this opportunity to introduce my family members to you by way of pictures. There's images of my grandmother, Georgia Loggers, and her brothers, my uncles, my Uncle Sherman, my Uncle Dusty, and my Uncle Joe. There's a picture of my mother, and there's a picture of my sisters, Lisa and Jackie. There's pictures of my brother, Ronald, Reginald, Michael, Barry, and myself. And then there's a picture of my younger brothers, Christopher and Demetrius. And then there's another picture that's in here, just a picture of my lookalike, Wesley Snipes. Some say we look alike, but you can be the judge of that. Last year, I was filled with a lot of grief and loss because of the losses of uh, two of my brothers and two cousins who passed away in a three-month period. There was many losses in the church, uh, church members. It was a lot of grief that was happening last year. You know, but I lost three of my brothers here in the last few years. I lost my brother Michael, my brother Reginald, and my brother Christopher. Reginald died because he had a stroke and he didn't recover from it. And Michael and Christopher, they died as a result of fentanyl poison and overdose. I love these brothers. I love these brothers tremendously, and I miss them. You know, and as I was grieving uh, during this time, I prayed to God to send someone to be there to comfort and to support me. That's nothing like sibling love to hold that I hold for these guys, you know, but I am reminded of a, this message of love. Some people believe that the opposite of love is hate, and that may be true in some situations. However, I believe that the opposite of love uh, uh, is the absence or the absence of love, in my view, is not simply to hate others. I believe the absence or the opposite of love is loneliness and isolation. Most suicide victims don't hate anyone when they complete suicide. Many of them feel isolated and alone and maybe afraid. Almost none of them want to die. They just want the pain to end. They just want the grief to stop. They just want someone to show them love. And I'm sure others try to show them love. But they feel all alone, as I did. I felt unloved. I felt alone. I felt isolated. And I felt like giving up because I held my little brother's Chris hand when he took his last breath and no one was there with me but me and him. You see, Thomas Aquinas, he is a 13th century 
Dominician monk. You know, he was an influential philosopher and theologian who gave three features of the Christian love. He synthesized an account of Christian love that answered approximately 150 questions related to love, providing an effective summary of the Bible's teaching on love. At the heart of his thesis account were three features. One, love is a long-term disposition. Christian's love is a broad, long-term personal disposition or trait. Love goes far beyond the single relationship, a particular action, and is surely something deeper than a short-term emotion. Love isn't just about what we do, but it is about who we are. Second, he said, loving people desire the good for all. The loving person desires the good for all, God, self, others with whom we have close relationships, distant strangers, even enemies. As the parable of the Good Samaritan teaches, love has a universal scope and everyone is our neighbor, especially when they are in need. This aspect of love is best thought of as benevolence. Third, he said, loving people desire bonds appropriate to a given relationship. Finally, the loving person desires bonds with others that are appropriate to their relationship. Maybe Thomas Aquinas' adaptation is a reflection of what Paul said to the Corinthian church when he stated both what love is as well as what love is not. He said, love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not uh, uh, dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. Love protects, love always trusts, always hope, always persevere. Love never fails. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. In 1 Corinthians 13, love is portrayed as superior to all the spiritual gifts and even superior to the great spiritual virtues of faith and hope. In John's gospel, the command to love one another is a distinctive new command. It is a new covenant. Benevolence alone is not love. A part of love is to desire a connection with others. That fits what our actual relationship with them should be. Just as God desires a connection with each of us, we ought to desire proper connectedness to others. Of course, we can't know everyone personally, but we can be open to everyone whom God brings into our lives. You see, there is a picture of my little girl when she was small, when I last saw her. The next time I saw her, she was a young woman. You know, I served 25 years trying to get back to my daughter, Tanisha. She deserved the right to have a father in her life. I deserved the right to be her dad and to be in her life, but I was taken from her. But during those dark days when I couldn't take it anymore and I didn't want to survive in that hellhole, I would think of my little girl and I'd say to myself, I just want to live long enough to see my little girl again while I'm on this earth. I thought of Tanisha and she gave me strength and the hope to push through the pain. And I thought and I told her that she was the reason that and the strength that kept me alive. You know, she was my hope and an acronym for the word hope is hold on, pain ends. You see, now that, you know, I'm out, I've had a chance to become an author of a book called Innocent A Second Look that tells a whole lot about my story. Maybe it's a small contribution that I can make to Black History Month since this is Black History Month. As I conclude, I conclude with this, the reunion with my child, my life with my wife, Valerie, and our family, my ministry with you in this church and now the author of this book, Innocent A Second Look. I would, it would never have happened if it wasn't for one very special person who I know God touched his heart with an agape love to do the right thing by giving me my life back and proving that I was innocent of the crimes of which I was falsely and wrongfully convicted for 25 years in Missouri prison. 
It is none other than the Honorable Judge Richard G. Callahan. After exonerating me and freeing me nearly 16 years ago, I had the privilege of meeting with Judge Richard G. Callahan, who is uh, responsible for giving me my life back. If it wasn't for Judge Callahan, who was reviewing my claims of innocence uh, for the first time, I don't know where I would be, but I'm sure I would not be here in this church today. I had a chance to meet with Judge Callahan, and I invite you now to take a look at the video of me and him meeting. 9 to 10, a full circle moment for a Missouri man wrongfully convicted of murder, reuniting with the judge who exonerated him. Daryl Burton's conviction was overturned 16 years ago, but this week he finally came face to face with that judge who released him. And he shared that meeting with KSHB 41's Alyssa Jackson and how he's narrating his own story. My question is, why would someone leave 99 sheep in potential danger and risk losing them to find one lost sheep? You may look at this man and immediately label him as a preacher. My name is Daryl Burton. Daryl Burton doesn't like titles because for far too long, he was given one he didn't deserve. They refer to you as a number, Burton 153063. But the number that matters today is according to the National Registry of Exonerations, he is one of 3,284 people who've been exonerated in the U.S. since 1989. No motive, no ballistic, no DNA, no confession, no weapon. No fingerprints. He's kept many reminders of the 24 years he spent in the Missouri State Penitentiary for a murder he did not commit. When you came through the door, there was this huge banner and it said, welcome to the Missouri State Penitentiary. Leave all your hope, family and dreams behind. But he did not belong there. And according to him, this judge realized that. He said that my case was the first case of innocence that he had ever, you know, reviewed in his court. That was a dangerous that place. That was a dangerous place, yes. I spent time down there also. That was back down over there. 5A, 5B, and 5C. That's right. And, uh, I did time in all three of those units. He spent half of his life in prison, so he can't leave it as a chapter in the past. Instead, he met his past halfway. For 16 years I've been home. That was the judge who finally looked at all the evidence and saw that I was innocent and released me. Exonerated, saved from death row, but free? Not without a strong faith. If you got a, a God of your understanding to ask God to intervene because it takes divine intervention to move those mountains. His old clothes might say inmate 153063. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. But today he's that one sheep that was able to fight its way home. Amen and amen. In Lee Wood, Alyssa Jackson, KSHB 41 News. All I can say is I thank God for Judge Callahan for giving me a second chance at life. I love you and God bless you. Please bow with me for the word of prayer. God, thank you for your redeeming grace and unconditional love. We're all manifestations of your love. Give us a spirit of grace and show us how to live like Christ, to love like you. You've placed us on a path to life to go out beyond the wall of the church and help those people who are in need. Help us to be a bright light in a dark world. Wherever there's pain and sorrow, we look to you as our hope for tomorrow. You've carried our burdens, so we lay it all down at your feet as we seek your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. We offer you this prayer as we place all things in your care. And it is Jesus' name we pray, so be it, and amen. Thank you for watching this week's sermon. We'd love for you to join us again for live worship online or in person. 
To learn more about Church of the Resurrection, please visit core.org. Have a great week and we'll see you next time.